morning. It's a really special day. Um, just sort of in the history of our church. You know, there's days as you're a part of any uh, gathering of God's people that we remember and we sort of set apart or mark on a calendar. And this will be a day um, similar to that. Um, because we have the blessing and the joy of being able to install um, two new elders um, to shepherd and care for our church. Um, if you're a guest with us, uh, you missed a couple weeks ago where I taught on uh, the offices of the church and uh, who are elders, what are they called to do. And so I'm not going to reteach that this morning. Just encourage you, you can go back a few weeks um, to our series on uh, God's design for the church and building one another up. And God's design is, as we see in the pastoral epistles of First and Second Timothy, as well as Titus, is that God said to those young pastors that he was sending out into these cities to appoint elders, to appoint men with very high character who could shepherd and lead the church. And the word that he used, the key emphasis of the word that he used in that text is shepherd. Um, and the shepherds of the church, um, they're also called overseers, are called to just lead the church in prayer and in the teaching of God's word. That's what an elder does. And so as shepherds and leaders of this church, our elder team is uh, responsible for the teaching, uh, the instruction, for praying, um, and just caring for your souls uh, and for our souls as a church. And so um, uh, we get the blessing of being able to appoint um, and install two new elders today. 1 Timothy chapter 3 says this in verse 1, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Um, it is a noble task, and these men have um, expressed their desire to serve as elders. And then more importantly, after that, in verses 2 and following, there's a list of qualifications, in a sense, character traits that that God's word says that men who are going to shepherd my people, who are going to be responsible for caring for my people, they have to be men of high character. They have to look this way. Their lives have to resemble um, my impact on them. And so uh, we're blessed that there are many. That list of character qualities, by the way, is uh, something that all believers should aspire to and are called to. Um, but it does set apart the office of elder to care for the church, and they must possess those qualities. And so um, a couple weeks ago, we introduced um, Ben Wilkins to you and Adam Stone as candidates to be elders. As part of our process here at City Church, we asked if there was any reason that we had not been able to investigate uh, or know about that you thought they might not measure up to the character that the scripture uh, commands and calls for them to live up to. You let us know. And um, not surprisingly, we didn't get any phone calls or emails uh, related to their life. But um, these are men who have already in so many ways served this church um, and shepherded this church. And um, what really set them apart uh, to be appointed as elders is the fact that without being designated, they have come alongside so many of you. I know that so many of you know Ben and Adam and their wives, Amy and Ashley, um, because uh, of the way they've cared for you. And so it's uh, clear that God has blessed our church. Um, and so um, I'm going to ask that uh, Adam and Ashley and Ben and Amy come to the front. They're going to stand uh, before us as a church, and uh, we're going to spend just a few moments as a church praying for them. Um, and it's right that um, we pray for our shepherds. Let me just tell you, I, as one of the elders of this church, covet and appreciate, and I'm so thankful um, for um, your prayers for us. We need your prayers. 
Um, yes, we are called to care and, and lead, but um, we need the Holy Spirit of God to go ahead of us and to help us in that. And so um, we so much need your prayers. And so we're going to spend a few moments as a church praying for them. Our other elders are going to come. We're going to lay hands on Adam and Ben um, and uh, surround them. And as we pray, uh, would you just bow your heads with us and would you specifically pray uh, for Adam and Ashley and Ben and Amy? Um, as we talked about a few weeks ago, as the Lord has gone ahead of us as a church family in so many different ways, um, the enemy despises what God is doing in their lives and what God is doing in our midst. And so attack already has come in various ways and will continue to come. And so uh, we need to pray as a church family for the Lord to just bless our elder team, uh, bless these shepherds. Um, I'm so thankful that my soul and my family will be cared for by um, these two men along with these other brothers. So let's go to the Lord and spend a few moments in prayer, just voice prayers for them, and then I'll close us in a few moments. so much for these brothers, for Ben, for Adam, for their wives, for Amy, for Ashley. We thank you for them. We thank you for the calling that you've placed on their lives. We thank you for bringing them to this family, um, to be a part of caring for this church and shepherding this church. Lord, we thank you so much for just the tangible evidence of your spirit at work in them. Um, both of these men, we're so grateful, have um, the spirit of gentleness, and kindness, mercy. You've given them wisdom, not the wisdom of man, but wisdom from your word, a love for your holy word. Yes, you've given them desire to care for your people. And so we ask that you would bless that desire as your word promises us. Go ahead of them. Give them wisdom and discernment, endurance. Give them patience. Lord, would they not lack for anything that they desire from you as they uh, care for us, as they lead us. We pray your blessings over their families wives and their children, Lord, may, um, may they just experience um, your kindness in a real way, even as the enemy comes against them, Lord, would you um, protect them. Lord, we pray that their ministry in this church would be a fruitful ministry, that you would go ahead of them in so many ways. 
Lord, you have been so gracious to this church. These brothers and sisters are evidence of that graciousness, evidence of your love for us, evidence of how you are moving in this place. So we're so thankful. We rejoice today, Lord. And we pray your blessings upon these families in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. And as you guys, as they make their way to their seats, and you may be wondering, how is it, especially some of you guests, how is it that we, um, as elders, care for the church? Um, Well, one of the best ways and the most uh, practical ways for us to be able to do that is for us to know who you are and to be able to enter into a relationship with you, engage in relationships with you. And so uh, the way we do that um, is a lot of different ways, but one of those things that you can do to help us to identify you and to know who you are and to know that you desire to be a part of this church and to be a part of the ministry that God has given this church is to join us in uh, what we call covenant partnership, which is our formal membership. And so if God has already... Um, put it on your heart that this is the place that you should um, commit your lives to and to join um, in the ministry that this church has. Uh, It's uh, fitting and perfect timing that this evening we have what's called City Church 201. Uh, City Church 201 is just a class where you get to investigate and in some sense learn about what it means to be a uh, member of this church, a covenant partner of this church. And so um, at five o'clock this evening, we'll have dinner for you. We'll also have childcare provided for you. And so if you feel like, yes, this is a place uh, that I'm ready to plug into, or at least I want to investigate what it might mean to be a member, you're curious, you heard covenant partnership and you've never heard that in a church before and you're thinking, I want to know what that means, then come tonight at five o'clock. You'll leave here at least knowing what that means and understanding how we operate as a church and, um, and then you can uh, decide if you'd like to move forward um, in covenant partnership and in membership. Um, this morning we are beginning a new sermon series with that announcement or that information ahead of you uh, in the book of Joshua. In the book of Joshua, if you've been like me over the last few weeks, over the summer months, we've spent sort of working our way through a few things, talking about discipleship and what it looks like to be a disciple. And then over the last three weeks, who we are called to be as a church and um, what we're our structure and all those sorts of things. Um, I have been very excited to get back to working our way through the books of the Bible. And so it's our practice here at the church that we typically just work our way through texts. And so we're jumping in. You have gotten here on time perfectly uh, to the start of this new series through the book of Joshua. And so we're in Joshua chapter one and you heard uh, Justin read in Deuteronomy 31 that gives us a picture of sort of the background, the beginning of um, Joshua's story and Joshua's calling, what God had put on his life. I um, am especially excited about this particular book because uh, one of the things that I feel I know I need in my life is a constant reminder of who God is and the promises that he's made to us. And so often we find ourselves, I think, drifting away and we sort of caught up in all of the things that we're supposed to do and the activities that we're supposed to engage in, especially as Christians, when we fail or we feel like maybe we're lacking in some of those areas, we sense, okay, God might not be happy with me. There's There's something that I'm missing here. And to be reminded over and over again of God's promise of God's faithfulness is a really, really good thing for us. And so we're going to get that um, in a double dose as we study the book of Joshua. Just a little bit of background. If you're not familiar with Joshua, if maybe his story is um, not as familiar to you, that's okay. I'm going to help you kind of catch you up a little bit on who Joshua is. And in Joshua chapter 1, He's introduced in this way. He says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, and he goes on. 
Joshua is introduced to us as Moses' assistant. If you go back and you can do some study on this, if you want to take some notes, all the way back in Exodus 17 is when we first meet Joshua. Joshua leads a battle against uh, Amalek and uh, is, is victorious in that battle. Then in Exodus chapter 24, he's become Moses' assistant in this time. And so he goes even up to Mount Sinai. God, uh, Moses went up to Mount Sinai to meet with God and to be given the law. And as he did that, Joshua went up behind him. He lingered a little bit of a distance. So he didn't get to see God as Moses did, but he was there. He got to see what Moses did as he engaged and heard from God himself. In Numbers 13, we read of the people of God being told that, hey, remember, I have promised you this land. One of the things we're going to see over and over again in this story is that God promised his people a possession, a land that he was going to call them his own people. He's going to send them into uh, this land to, to possess it. And he would send Joshua as one of 12 spies that would go ahead of the people of God to sort of investigate this. And in Numbers 13, he's one of 12, the 12 tribes of Israel, each appointed one man to go over and to look at the land to kind of scout it out. Well, Joshua was one of two that came back and said, it's, it's okay. There's a lot of people over there. There's probably going to be a lot of war. There's going to be some battles, but we're going to be good. The other nine, they were like, not so much. They were a little fearful. They didn't believe in the promise of God. They didn't trust in the promise of God. And so as a result of that, God said, well, this generation, you faithless people who don't believe in my promise, you won't enter the promised land. You won't go in, including Moses himself. And so for another 40 years, people of God wandered in the desert. You ever wondered why they wandered? It was because they didn't believe in the promise of God. And so fast forward to Numbers 27. Moses knows that he's nearing the end of his life realizes that he is not going to be able to enter into the promised land because of the faithlessness of the people. And so he asked God to give him an, a, 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 a someone to lead the people, an apprentice to take over. And it's very curious and interesting, and we're going to see this, and we're going to understand more about Moses' heart and ultimately God's heart for his people. What Moses asks for in Numbers 27, as he's asking for someone to take over for him, he doesn't ask for a strategic leader. He doesn't ask for an executive. He doesn't ask for a military warrior. He asks God to give him a shepherd, someone that would care for his people, care for the people of God. And even in our calling, what we just you saw on display as elders, as pastors, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, that role is a role that the word is intertwined, shepherd and pastor. And so even as we look at Josh, we see a little bit of God's heart for his people. When he calls them into something and when he is leading them, he's going to provide people, provide men to care and to tend to his flock. So this is who Joshua is. And as you heard Justin read in Deuteronomy 31, you heard those famous words that we hear over and over again. We're going to continue to hear in this text this morning, be strong and courageous. But even then, when Moses is instructing Joshua to be strong and courageous, he's doing that because he's telling him, be strong and courageous because, I, because God has promised us something. And we can trust in the promises of God. Joshua wasn't selected because of his abilities because he was smart enough, because he had enough figured out, he was selected, he was called because he was a shepherd and he was to lead people and to remind them continually of God's promises. So as we jump to Joshua chapter one, which is where we'll begin, you heard already again, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, 
Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people into the land that I am giving them to the people of Israel. God makes a promise to Joshua. It's very curious how God begins this conversation with Joshua. He says, Moses, my servant is dead. And you're the next guy. We hear a lot in football about next man up. When there's an injury to one of the uh, members of the team, they talk about on the TV, next man up. Somebody else has to take the, the, the place of that role, has got to do the job that the other guy did before. God doesn't grieve over Moses' death. There's not a lot of, we don't even hear of a funeral. We don't hear of any sort of mourning period. All we hear is, Moses is dead, you're the next guy up. God knows where Moses is. God knows exactly what he's done with Moses. God isn't worried about Moses. And he doesn't want Joshua to worry about Moses either, but he's saying it's now your responsibility, you're taking over, you're picking up the baton. God begins to then share this promise and remind Joshua, a promise that he already knew, but he reminds him again. Because so often, although we know the promises of God, my expectation is that many of you could talk about the promises of God from his word, we need to be reminded. And so God reminds Joshua, I'm giving you this land and you are gonna go over this Jordan, you and all this people into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Verse three, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. God makes a promise to Joshua, reminds him again of the promise that he had already made to Moses and wants to remind him over and over again, this is the promise. And is it curious? You would think that God, knowing that he's saying, hey, I'm going to send you into this land, that he might tell Joshua, we might even ask God if we were being told to do something by God, well, tell me how am I supposed to do this? What am I supposed to do? What strategy? You talked about the Hittites. By the way, all of that description, he's just describing this great territory that is filled with enemies of God, people that oppose God and hate his people. That's what Joshua is facing. And so you might think that he would want to tell Joshua a little bit about how are you to deal with this? How are you to face this challenge? What are you supposed to do? But that's not what God does. What God does is, is he tells him and reminds him of the promise that he made to him. He says that you're going to take this land and the only thing that he tells him to do is to go. And he says, wherever your foot steps, Wherever you set your foot down, that land will be yours. Nothing, he says, is going to stop you from taking what I have given you because I've promised it to you, because I am God. And because I'm God, I can do whatever I want, however I want, and I have chosen this will be your land. It will be a land for my people. So Joshua, you don't need to know how. You don't even need to maybe always understand or get the why. What you need to know is that I have promised you this. I have promised it to you. It's only after he makes this promise, verses one through five, that Joshua receives his first command, his first bit of instructions on how he is supposed to do this and what he's supposed to do. Look at verses six and seven. Be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give to them. Only be strong and very courageous. 
It's after God makes this promise, reminds Joshua of the promise that he had made to his forefathers years ago, that now God says, this is the command that I give to you. Be strong and courageous. Yes, be strong and very courageous. See, too often we get that mixed up in our own lives. We think to ourselves, I need to be strong and courageous, and we forget it doesn't even matter. It never even really hits our consciousness that we need to remember who God is. We need to remember what he has already told us. We need to remember the promises that he's made to us. See, Joshua is told to be strong and courageous, and that's not a reflection or a response to his abilities, It's not because Joshua had within himself this just natural ability to be strong and courageous. He just kind of was a little bit more bold than the other men. He was a little bit more forceful than others. No, he is told to be strong and courageous in response to what God has said. I think too often one of our challenges as Christians, as the people of God, is that we've been convinced through a little bit of some prosperity gospel messages that have crept into churches all around and just some various messages that come into our world that we need to be strong and courageous and we have the ability to be strong and courageous somewhere within ourselves. That when we face various challenges in life, we just need to muster up some strength. When I hear those words, be strong and courageous, guess what I think of? I think of going to work out, riding my bike. I know, it doesn't look like I do that very much. We're in the off season, okay? Just relax. But... That's what I think about. Be strong. Okay, go do something that would make your body strong. Be courageous. Somehow just muster that up. Just just force yourself. Isn't that what we do so often? We face a challenging situation. We face a broken situation. We just think, I've just got to be strong and courageous. And we think that that's something that we have within ourselves to do. And even many people will tell us that you just have that residing. You just have this overflow of strength and courage just sitting there sort of in reserves waiting to be applied to the challenges of life that come our way. But I'll be honest with you, I don't have that. And I don't think that you do either. I don't think any of us have that just sitting or very few of us just have that sitting I think about my boys as a parent. I send them off into the world, wherever they go, to school, now as adults. And I may tell them, I encourage them, be strong and courageous. But what am I telling them when I say that? I'm not telling them to pull themselves up by their bootstraps and just figure life out. I'm telling them to remember who they are and to remember who God is. Remember who your mom and dad are. Remember that we love you unconditionally, which is just a reflection, a small and sort of pitiful reflection of the unconditional love of your heavenly father. When I'm telling them to be strong and courageous, I'm I'm encouraging them to take actions that are right and just and kind and gracious Not because they have that residing in themselves, but as they reflect on it and they remember the God who saved them. Not to just go with the flow because the rest of the world is doing this, but to remember, to remember that they can't lose. Even if they lose their life, they can't lose because of who God is. Too often we make this about mustering up strength from within. And it does us no good. 
Last night, I attended with other friends from our church family. We support Hope Women's Center. Hope Women's Center in McKinney is a place where young women and men who are facing an unplanned pregnancy or some other crisis in life, they can go and they can be met with the grace of Christ and the love of Christ. And I heard stories of these young women who were facing ultimately what was in their life, the most challenging and painful, potentially dark day, uncertain day of their life. Let me ask, I just thought of this as we were looking at this text and preparing for this message. What good does it do to tell that young girl to be strong and courageous? What good does it do to tell a parent whose child is wayward and not following the Lord to just be strong and courageous? What good does it do to tell a couple who desires to have children and have been unable to, to just be strong and courageous? What good does it do to tell the man who just lost his job and has no idea how he's going to provide for his family to be strong and courageous? Or the student who's failing, who sits alone at the lunch table and never will hear her name over the loudspeaker to be strong and courageous? What good does it do, whatever it is in your life that you're facing when you experience and you're walking headlong into the brokenness of this world to just tell you to be strong and courageous? It does you no good. I would go so far as to tell you that if I told you that, it would be spiritual malpractice for me to just tell you in the face of your dark day to just be strong and courageous. And that's not what God does. That's not what God does with Joshua as he knows the battles that he's going to face as he steps foot in obedience to what God has called him to do, what God does with Joshua is, he says, remember the promises that I've made to you. Every time God gives a command and instructs and calls us to be strong and to courageous, to step boldly into our faith and to do the things that he might have called us to do, preceding that is always a promise. Let me remind you, young man, let me remind you, brother and sister, let me remind you, friend, who I am. Let me remind you of the promises that I've made to you. He promised us that he would establish a kingdom that wasn't of this world and that kingdom would endure forever. He promised us that we would be citizens of that kingdom. And as citizens of that kingdom, he would be with us. He would never leave or forsake us, just as he told Joshua. As one of my favorite preachers once said and says often, he promised us that the worst they can do is kill us. That's the worst So when I tell my sons to be strong and courageous, I'm telling them, remember the promises of God. Remember what he has said. And remember, the worst that can happen is this earthly life has ended for you, which as Paul would say, is nothing but joy, nothing but hope. So God tells Joshua to be strong and courageous, not because he could just have this strength residing within himself, but to be strong and courageous as he remembers who he is, as he remembers the promises. And he gives him further instruction on how he's to go about remembering these promises. Look back now to verse eight and nine. 
I'll pick up in verse seven. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but shall, you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The way that Joshua is to remember who God is, to remind himself regularly of the promises of God, is to continually tie his life, anchor his life, tether his life to this word, to his word. We look around the world for all sorts of wisdom and answers to every problem under the sun, and we rarely look at his word. You want to know what Pastor Kyle was talking about when we talked about fight clubs? A fight club is simply a small group of people that have committed and decided that they're going to spend their lives each week meeting together to open up God's word. Text, look at the book, understand what it teaches us about God, and then let our lives flow as a result of that. That's what we do. And so God reminding Joshua of his promises and telling him he wants him to remember his word. Obedience is the fruit of faith. If you want to understand how it is that we're supposed to be obedient, really, I would say, as Christians, the only thing God desires, asks of us, is to be obedient. And what are we obedient to? The fruit of faith that comes to be obedient? That faith is the fruit of the word. So if obedience is the fruit of faith, the fruit, faith is a fruit of the word. As we study the word, as we open up the word, as, we, uh, as the Holy Spirit enlightens us to understand who God is and to see God for who he is, faith comes as a result of that. And as faith increases, then obedience also increases. Obedience is the fruit of faith and faith is the fruit of the word. You trust in my word, he says, then do what I say. And the way that we prove that we have faith in who God is, is that we do the things that he's called us to do. That's what he tells Joshua in verses eight and nine. Ben, Adam, as you shepherd this flock, trust in the word. The word will do the work. Not your experience, not your wisdom, not your own giftedness or ability, though they are many. The word is what we trust in. And we are strong and courageous. We prove that strength and that courage as we trust in God's word. And so God tells Joshua, this is what you're to do. And you're to do it with strength and courage. And the source of that strength and encourage, that strength and courage is to remember who I am. So let us remember together this morning what God's word has said to us. This is what God's word says. God's word says that I am a sinner, that I am a reflection, and the reality of this broken world is on display even in my life and in your life. God's word promises us, though, that God loved me enough that before he even spoke my life into existence, he made a plan to redeem me and to make me new. 
God's word promises me that Jesus came and lived the perfect life. And by living the perfect sinless life, he was the the proper sacrifice to atone for the sins of the world. Only because of who he was, was his sacrifice, his life, a worthy sacrifice that God could accept in his justice and holiness to pay for sin. God's word promises me that he loved me and he proved how much he loved me when Jesus died on the cross for me. God's word promised me as well that the power of Jesus' love for me was on display at the cross or the depth of his love was on display at the cross. The power of his love, how much he loved me, was on display when he took up his life again three days later. That's what God's word promises me. God's word promises me that by believing in him, by believing in who Jesus said he was and what he did, that I have been welcomed in as a citizen of this eternal kingdom of God. God's word has promised me that I cannot die because I've already died the death with Christ and I've been raised up to new life in him. And because of that, I have nothing to fear. God's word promises me that he is with me always. He's with me today and forever. Even when my feelings betray me, my feelings tell me otherwise. When my feelings, when I have no Comprehension, I can't grasp where are you, God? God's word promises me that he is with me even in those moments. And it's when I remember the promises of God, when I remember who he says he is and the promises that he's made to me, that strength and courage are an overflow of that. Strength and courage come up not based on my own ability not because I've made it so, not because I just decided to be strong and courageous today, but because I remember what God has said. I remember the promises he's made. So I want to invite you, our worship team's going to come up right now. I want to invite you to remember. Remember what God has promised. Remember what he's already said. You don't have the strength to stand. You don't have enough courage to face the world around you. But when you remember who God is, when you remember the promises he's made to you, what the world will see will look like strength. It will look like courage. Because that's who he is. That's what he does. So let's pray. Let's ask God to remind us. Let's ask God to help us anchor our lives to his word. Ask him for his help. And if you find yourself weary because of what's gone on in your life this week, maybe for months and days, even years, you've been struggling. Let me just ask you, have you ever put your faith in Jesus? You may have tried to be obedient to God's word, like you knew the moral commands and you knew what was somewhat expected of you by God, but you've never really been able to get there. Perhaps you don't have faith. You haven't had faith. And so you can't get to obedience. And so perhaps this morning in this moment, God would move by the power of his spirit 
and give you the gift of faith to believe what he's already said. And as you believe, obedience will begin to follow. And obedience will lead to what the world calls strength and courage. Holy God, I thank you for who you are. That you are God, you are not like us. You're completely other from us. And yet, you created us as your image bearers and you loved us enough to make a way for us to enter into a relationship with you, an eternal, everlasting relationship with a God who's so far from us in terms of that holiness, and yet we can be so close. What a miracle. What an amazing reality. So help us to remember your promises this morning. Those of us who have put our faith in you, Jesus, help us to remember all the things that you have said. Holy Spirit, open our eyes anew even this week, today, to hear and to see your promises in in ways perhaps that we've never seen before. Help us to not get the formula backwards, to look for strength and courage from within ourselves, but let us find our strength and courage in the holy and perfect and everlasting word of God, your word to us, your promises to us. I thank you, Jesus, that you've promised me an undeserving sinner, a broken man. You've promised me everlasting life secured for me by you. And I pray the hope that I have, the strength that I have, the courage, whatever those things they look like to this people, help it always be centered on who you are. And I pray for any soul in this room that wants to know more of who you are. Would you reveal yourself to them? Holy Spirit, move in these moments. Show us your love. We pray these things in the mighty name of Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to the preaching of God's word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. at 2300 Vineyard Hill Lane, and we look forward to seeing you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.